Hey folks, this is John. I just wanted to alert you to the fact that we did have some technical issues in the recording of this episode, and so some of Ronald's audio is a little distorted. You'll hear kind of a crackling sound on it. Overall, though, his silky tones still come through, so don't worry. It's not really a big deal. We just wanted you to know that we know, and now you know. So we know that you know that we know. And it's great for everybody. Enjoy. So what is this, 197? Yes. Wow. Now I'm the one who says wow at the number. <laughs> so... Wow. I think it's because we're getting so close to 200 and we don't really know what we're doing for 200. It right. kind of makes me excited and nervous at the same time. <laughs> but I'm John. I'm Steve. I'm Ron. And this is Movie Movie. <laughs> That's right. Welcome. <laughs> it's another telephone episode. So how's everybody doing? Oh, I'm doing great. What about you, Ronald? Yeah, I, I'm good. Uh, a lot of changes. <laughs> a lot of physical change. I'm physically going to be in different places now. So I got a new job and moving pretty soon and trying to work on getting all that stuff straightened out. Yeah, the last time we recorded, you you had gotten the job and knew that you were moving at some point but now you've actually uh signed a on the dotted line is that right yes moving to laurel which is pretty exciting and then i found out just out of the blue that my sister's going to be living in the same area like had no idea where she was moving and she found a place that's 10 minutes away from me i haven't been uh that close to my sister in a very long time so it'll be nice to that's awesome be close to her yeah man i feel like there's some some energy making this happen listeners who don't know the the, the baltimore area or uh, the, anything about this region that we're in should know that laurel is not that far away that we should be able to continue oh, our usual uh, podcasting relationship yeah. into the future absolutely <laughs> so what about you steve things are good I've, i haven't seen many movies unfortunately uh i think i've seen one movie at the theater since the baby was born and uh there's about like seven that i want to see if not more uh, it's very depressing. I, I've never, ever been this far behind on movies in my life. And uh, I, I don't know what to do, guys. I need I need help. <laughs> what movie did you see? I saw Detroit. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I saw that as well. Well, would you guys want to talk a little bit about Detroit? Sure. Uh, Steve, you want to go first? What did you think about it? Uh, you know, honestly, like, the first thing I thought walking out of it was, like, that I think that so this is a Catherine Bigelow film, director of, uh, recently, of like, Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and I think this is, like, her third or fourth uh, kind of effort with Mark Ball, the screenwriter, and walking out of it, the only thing that I could, like, I, I could think about was not only how heavy the movie is and how challenging it is, is to watch, it's uncomfortable to watch, it's a very emotional watch. Like it's the kind of thing like you'll watch it, and I don't know that you'll ever want to watch it again. Not because it's not good or well made, but just because it is like a really challenging film. But but like quality wise, the the thing that kind of came to my mind was like I don't know that I think that Catherine Bigelow really needs to continue working with Mark Bull. Mm. Like 
I, I think he's got some, you know he's got like a skill he's got something going on like I don't I don't know what his background was I I, I want to say he was like a journalist or something that became a screenwriter um, or or something like that but I don't know there's something about the the scripting the dialogue of the film uh, doesn't really match up with with the actual filmmaking um, with the quality of the the cinematography just the shot composition. The action um, and even the performances, you know, if you just go beyond some of the framing, some of the blocking, like there's just there's just a lot of good stuff that you really see in Catherine Bigelow films. And I mean, that's all in this movie or it's very easy to find in this movie. But um, for a lot of the concerns that I had with Hurt Locker, I mean, I'm sorry, with Zero Dark Thirty, which I still really enjoyed. A lot of what like people kind of criticize or like, you know, that had something to say about it was some of the screenwriting. And I think that this film, um, you know, kind of framing it around this this event at the Aldridge Hotel or Motel, it, it's, I don't know, it's just something something didn't click with me with, with some of the scripting. Um, I mean, there's some good performances in the film. And it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's kind of like there's this flag or this tag that goes on movies like this, you know, like important films or, you know, you should see this movie. It's, you know, it's, it's a... It it is that kind of movie. Like it, it it it's made for a reason, and it's 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 important to see. And it's like you know, it's not knowing a lot about it myself going in, specifically about that that motel incident. Not not just the riots in Detroit, but that that's really what the movie's framing it all around is this incident at the hotel. I don't know. The the only thing that really stuck with me. I mean, I I, I enjoy the movie. I would recommend people see it. Like I, I don't. It doesn't it doesn't stand out to me as like one of the year's best, which is like, I think what a lot of people maybe were, you know, hoping for, uh, because of the people that are involved with making it. And I mean, it's gotten really great reviews and I mean, and, and I can see why, I mean, like it's the kind of movie that can get that kind of attention, but I don't know, just something about the, the screenplay and the writing and some of the, some of the performances, like just, I don't know, just didn't, something just felt off to me. I can't really place my finger on it, but, um, but but the silver lining for me is like I, I really like Catherine Bigelow as a filmmaker. I think she has a lot of skill and finesse, and and like you know her action films uh, have a, a a certain aesthetic to them that I think over these last three or four movies she's kind of married with like more of a dramatic like uh, kind of suspenseful uh, type of film genre or type type of film that I think has been really intriguing to watch, especially with Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, but. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's a really, it's a, it is a good film and it's something that I recommend seeing. And like, you know, I'd say, you know, what, what is it? Go ahead is our scale. Yes. Um, but I'd be curious, like what you guys think, like if Ronald having already seen it or John, when you check it out, like just, I, 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 something specifically really spoke to me, like of being a little off with like the screenplay, which I've seen a couple other reviews kind of mention and, and they probably are, are able to articulate it a bit cleaner than I am, but, um, I don't know, something about Mark Bull, like, I need to, I need to know more about this guy, and, like, where his motivations are, and, I don't know, it just, just, something wasn't right there for me. What about you, Ronald? Um, well, I'll tell you that I did not like Detroit. This movie is almost two and a half hours long, and an hour of it could have been spared because it just didn't even involve the hotel the first hour. There was a lot of world building about stuff that we know um, is just generally the, the climate around that time. So at this point, 
we know that the 50s and 60s are riddled with racism and racial tension and stuff like that, right? So right. Th there doesn't have to be a lot of world building in that way. But there was a ton of world building like we had never seen this before. They almost described, they almost took, a, took the time to explain the past like it was like the future. You know how the, like in like a futuristic movie they talk about <laughs> levitating cars? They gave the past that much time to explain how racist it was, which <laughs> I, I figure we would know at this point, right? Like maybe maybe not the feeling, maybe not the emotion of it, but we know the events, right? So they could have taken an hour of just world building and condensed it into a montage that could have been like 10 minutes long where they explained yeah. the events that led up to it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was terrible. That opening sequence, like the animated sequence? Yeah. Like that that is really all you needed to know. Like if 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 if, if even that. Like you know, that's a lot of that that's a really good way that you described it. It's like when you watch like a like a sci-fi movie or like a futuristic film, like there's they have to tell you this like really quick thing about this world so that you understand at least something about it. Right, right. And there seemed to be a lot of that in in the first like forty five minutes of the movie beyond a very intentional opening sequence that is animated to tell you what you're about to be dropped into. Right. And right. and and then it continues for like forty minutes of like this character development and like explaining and showing how these people are being racist and how these people are being victimized before you even get to the hotel or the motel. Yeah, I mean you're you're totally right. I totally agree yeah. with you with that. And then and then it's it's very unclear what this movie is. Is it a biopic about the singing group? Is it about the trial of the stuff that happened in Detroit? Is it about the events right. in the hotel? Right. It's it doesn't focus on anything long enough for it to be about that specific thing. It doesn't do any of those things well enough. the the most the the most intense part of the movie was when the cops came in and basically terrorized this group of people for however long they did. If that was the case. That should have been the bulk of the movie. It should have had right. just the explanation of the event. They come to the hotel. The shot goes off. The soldiers come in. And then right. the, the terror, terror begins. And maybe they show like two or three scenes that kind of show what happened afterwards. You know. So, But it, it was very unclear what this movie was. And I actually leaned to my girlfriend and said, what is this movie? Is it a biopic about these people, this singing group? Is it about the trial? Is it about the events? It does not focus on any of those things for long enough for it to be good at any of those things. The only thing that it did well enough was create the tension that existed in that house. And I think what they did was they create, it was almost like that scene was written first and then everything was written around it. They knew that that would be the point of like tension. That's the part that's the most uh, you know, gut-wrenching, seeing these innocent black kids be harassed by these cops. Because we don't see enough of that uh, just on the news. People are going to be white-guilted and the like in this movie, man. That's what it is. People are going to be guilted and the like in this movie because, it, because of the subject matter, and it's not good enough of a movie. It's not like the Martin Luther King biopic that came out, you know, a couple years ago. It's not like... Um, it's not that good. It's not that good of a story to warrant any awards. 
And I think that people are going to be kind of guilted because of the subject matter into saying this is a good movie. It's like if if I were a little more sensitive and you were and um, you were like, I saw Detroit, I would lean I would lean towards you and say, so what did you think about it, Steve? Did you think it wasn't did you think it was good? <laughs> and you might out of guilt say, yeah, it was a good movie when in your heart of hearts, you know, it wasn't that good of a movie. It's not that good. It's it's interesting because I mean I think that there I mean I definitely hear what you're saying and I I, I definitely can align with a lot of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem that it hits is that like I think so like like I said before like I didn't know a lot about this incident at the at the motel personally. Mm-hmm. Like I knew a lot I, I've I've learned and, and you know I've seen a lot about the riots in Detroit around this incident. And I think what the movie's trying to do or what the movie attempts to do is to be really granular in saying this movie is going to be about the hotel incident or the motel incident. But then it seems to not buy into that decision because like you said, it starts talking about the singing group and it starts talking about the trial and what happens to, you know, the the guy joining the choir. Like it follows these characters outside of this like one really intense event that the movie could have really just existed inside of. Like, it could have literally been that kind of film that just drops you in to this riot scene and this event that's happening, and, you know, you kind of are just like a bystander at this hotel and see and see what happens. Right, right. But then I think it just gets so interested in trying to tell more about the people that were at that event instead of focusing on the event and how it affected the city. I mean, it's yeah. called Detroit, for you know, you know, for obvious reasons, but it's almost like you know, and you, you really find it hard to fault people for trying to make you know, to build these characters and to personify these characters and what they're feeling and how they're affected. But it almost seems like to me like there's a a, a missed opportunity is more on like how this incident at the motel affects you know, or where it played into this whole you know the the bigger event that was happening in the city. And yeah. it seems like it gets a little bogged down in. You're you're absolutely right. It's like one of these movies that almost feels like it has like five endings. Like you know, like you, you see what happens at the motel, and then you see what happens, you know, with the singing group, and you see what happens with, you know, the the, the family of the one boy, and you at the and, and then the lawsuit and the court case, and you know, these named actors pop up for like one or two scenes, and you almost are like. Were there more of those actors in this movie, and it just got right. cut down because it was two and a half hours? But I don't know. Like it's it's weird. Like I don't know that it's like being guilted in the feeling like I liked it. I mean, I I feel like there's a lot of positive things in terms of like craft on display, and I think that's what a lot of like the praise is kind of focusing on. If you read a lot of reviews, like you can definitely track some of the things you're saying in some of these reviews. But I I do think. There's a lot of scenes that Bigelow, as a filmmaker, like I just, I really like movies that she makes in general, and I, and I don't know, and I didn't really like this movie. I I I guess I liked it if I had to like you know kind of just fall in the middle, but the big criticism is like the length and really kind of what you're saying um, in terms of like what it really is about because it becomes, it becomes about a lot more that draws the movie out too much than just being about like that really intense moment in the motel. And I don't know, it's weird. It, it's a really interesting decision that they made and like how they really kind of paced the movie out because 
that stuff moves really quick and it's really thrilling and it's like really kind of it's it's frightening how fast it moves yeah yeah and then 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 you get to that other stuff like you're talking about and it just like slows to a crawl and it's just like uh, uh, that was probably a bad decision two things are happening in my mind one is it sounds like an oliver stone movie it, it feels it feels a little like it the way that you're describing that it has like <laughs> central events and then and then stuff spiraling out from it where it's like what is this movie and it's a movie that's yeah. pushing two and a half hours and and we'll, like we, there's a lot going on but what's the narrative here you know and the other thing is you're making me think a lot about dunkirk because it does that thing you're saying steve it does start you off kind of on your on your feet in the middle of this event it's it's an odd story because it's not about a battle it's a retreat and it's all about just can we successfully retreat when the enemy has us boxed in if we can just get people out of here okay and back home safely that's a that's a victory you know so it's a different sort of war film but it throws you into the middle of that event and it really doesn't do any of the backstory or any of the well here's what the germans were about and this is why we didn't think they were very nice and uh you know these are the allies and these are the enemies it doesn't do any of that it just throws you in and gives you three different points of view but basically three different very human points of view so it almost sounds to me like what you're describing maybe there is a uh, a, a two hour or a hour and 40 minute version of this movie that really does center on the intensity of of the riot and the night and all the things that happened then without some of that other stuff and maybe you wouldn't be feeling it so bloated because that is the kind of remarkable thing about Dunkirk is that it's a Christopher Nolan movie and it's not bloated yeah it's crazy how do you think that Detroit stands up like in terms of uh, Catherine Bigelow's career, we know that uh, Zero Dark Thirty got her a lot of renown, but it also got some criticism based on, you were talking about Mark Bowl, but that point of view of being kind of almost like a pro-militaristic point of view, right. or, or or believing a certain mythology about what happened with Osama bin Laden. Uh, you know, there was criticism about Zero Dark Thirty. How do you guys think that uh, Detroit handles the sort of state of being... A political film, because I mean, when that trailer hit my eyeballs, it hit me in 2017 when a lot of these issues feel very current. Does this movie feel like it's trying to fit into that slot of maybe educating some people about what the situation is? Or does it seem like it really is about a moment in time, uh, a night that happened years ago? I'm trying to say this without being a jerk. Why are you suddenly worried about that, Ronald? Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, okay, so I'll say this. I knew when I was watching this movie that somebody black didn't write this movie. I knew it because it, it something was missing. Something was missing from it was it didn't have. It sound it, it felt very like historical. In the way that it probably captured some of the accuracies of some of the events, probably almost to a T from accounts, right? But there's subtlety and dialogue and things like that, that I think that this thing this movie missed out on. And sometimes I wonder when people are covering things like that, if it should be, I'm not saying Catherine Bigelow not directing it, but maybe this, like, like you were saying, the screenwriter, maybe you should have had somebody that may have had some background, maybe had a cousin that was, you know, an aunt that was in it or something like that. It's a little harder to capture these things. And I'm, and I'm become sensitive about, how it's being covered, and I I knew when I watched. I didn't know. I didn't know. I don't know anything about this writer, but I knew as I was right. I was I was watching it that that might have been what was missing. 
that there was some subtlety that was missing, that there was some nuance that was missing, that there were things that I feel like somebody who could talk to somebody that had or had experienced something like that could have conveyed in the script that could have been better. So that's what it is. That That's the big thing in my head that bothers me. And part of me wonders that about like Zero Dark Thirty. Like, I don't always... It's it's amazing that these events are being captured in film form, but sometimes it feels like something's missing about how the culture is being covered, how things are being handled when you're talking about this subject matter. So that's what bothered me about it, honestly. That's that's what made me feel uneasy. I knew before I I was like, man, nobody black wrote this wrote this film, and I'm not I'm not saying that somebody white couldn't capture this sort of thing, but there's something to it, man. There's something to it. There's something to the subtleties that you can capture through actually having these experiences that was just devoid of this script, man. Ronald, you know that Mark Bow was black, right? He is? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I say, like, oh my God. <laughs> You're like, uh, backtrack. <laughs> that would be nuts. <laughs> That would be nuts. I mean, this is reminding me of a story I actually wanted to kind of follow up on anyway, because last time we talked about the Game of Thrones creators or the creators of the television show for HBO having the show Confederate, which oh, yeah, uh, got yeah. a huge backlash. And, and I guess we were kind of part of the backlash. You know, a lot of the problematic aspect to that being is that it doesn't seem like Game of Thrones has ever been that interested in dealing with race at all, or especially not in a very thoughtful way or of being particularly diverse in its casting or anything. And so were these guys the best guys to handle this? But I will say I personally had not done enough reading on that at the time to know that they are not the only members on the production team. They are actually joined by Nichelle Tramble Spellman and Malcolm Spellman. Uh, and he worked on Empire. <laughs> oh, boy. And she, I think, has uh, has worked on Justified. But they are people of color and they are working with them and they're supposed to be co-executive producers. And I think there's two women who are executive producers on Game of Thrones as well, Carolyn Strauss and Bernadette uh, Caulfield, who are involved in some way. So maybe they do have a production team that's more diverse than what we thought at the time, but I, I think that the way that the story was handled... It you know put the picture of Benioff and Weiss up up front, used them kind of as a little hype machine for this show without really talking much about the other participants. And I don't know if you guys followed that at all, but noted that HBO actually um, had to kind of you know they kind of came out and said we we kind of bungled this rollout. Like really, it's a show that probably won't have a pilot for two years, right, the right. way HBO works. So it's really a premature announcement. I think they were trying to maybe get the word out and p- piggyback on the hype around a new season of Game of Thrones. And I really think it kind of backfired because now there's this this hashtag no confederate which <laughs> oh, no. is like based on basically taking down the show before it ever starts now a lot of these things may seem important and then they die down and then hbo this giant company is going to do whatever it's going to do but two years out or however long out before they have any kind of product people are already sort of rooting against this and the other thing that happened this week that you may have seen was that then amazon made their announcement that they've had a show that they've been developing for about a year called black america with uh, will Packer and Aaron Magruder, which is a different concept that's a similar sort of alternate history, but that actually sounds like a cooler idea in a lot of ways. Like just from the broad description of it, it sounds more 
rich and less exploitative. And I saw where Will Packer was saying that the difference was that whereas Confederate would seem to be dealing with the idea of slavery in contemporary society, their idea was to deal more realistically with the idea of reparations and what reparations would actually mean, which does sound kind of more fruitful. And I don't know, I guess because we had talked about it before and all this stuff happened in the last week, I definitely wanted to hear what you guys thought of those developments. So any thoughts on that? Um, Steve, you, you did you hear about any of this stuff? Honestly, I, I have. I, I've been so like disconnected from like keeping up with what the details of it were. I, I mean, from what I read about the Confederate show, I mean, I, I would be, I would bet money that that show never gets made. <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, even though, right, even right, though, right. like I've read HBO, like they've kind of done damage control and like, like framed it as like you know we we kind of botched you know this, this press release and. Uh, how we kind of announced this and they've kind of still noted that they're going to still go forward with it. I mean, the clout that Benioff and uh, Weiss kind of carry because of Game of Thrones, like, it's got a chance of still surviving. But honestly, like, I, I, I don't see how HBO, who is, like, scratching and clawing to find the show that will be the show after Thrones is done, like... There's no way in hell this show will ever be that show or ever has a chance of being that show because of this and and of this happening. What about you, Ronald? And also, uh, any thoughts on the Magruder project? I mean, I I love Aaron Magruder. Um, I hated Boondocks once he lost control of it. It started to get kind of diluted and weird and um, kind of a parody of itself. So, you know, when when he helms an idea... um, also, he like exec- executive produces Black Jesus, which I'm I'm kind of a fan of too. Um, I'm interested. I'm interested. I'm I'm really upset of at how the whole HBO thing was presented. But that might not even have been the whole idea. It sounds like there may have been some HBO. I trust HBO, and I think there could have been some complexity to that story. There might have been some part of it that they're just not mentioning up top. It's a really terrible idea, but um, I feel like it would have been uh, possibly a well-rounded idea, but it sounded terrible from the press release. Um, I'm super excited about Aaron Magruder's idea. Um, Hopefully it's good. Amazon has not failed me yet, man. They've been pumping out some some good stuff, and they're kind of sneaking up on me in terms of content, so... um, I'm I'm looking forward to what they're gonna bring, you know, end of the year into next year. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Whatever people want to say, I have seen a lot more positive vibes going out towards the Amazon project, uh, and I do think it has to do with the idea sounding a little bit more empowering. But I do agree with you, Steve, that HBO is is clamoring for something some high status show yeah. that will carry it into the next era the way that Game of Thrones got them here and the way that you know Sopranos got them so far back in the day they they need that zeitgeist grabbing show because there are all these other outlets i mean hell you've got uh Netflix going into uh, billions of dollars of debt <laughs> to make sure that they're producing new content all the time so maybe there is not a model that is really safe i i predicted that that would happen with with uh netflix um if just just it's just simple math if they have a couple million subscribers right and it costs 100 and something 100 yeah and it's 10 it's 10 dollars a membership and they're giving away 200 million for the the will smith movie and they're, they're giving people specials left and right 
They're making a ton of original content. There's no way that they were making that money back. That it just doesn't make any sense. Like it, it just. Well, okay. Let, before we go too far, let's let's say that we're talking about the recent headlines that were saying that uh, Netflix is basically twenty billion in debt based on their model. I did a little bit of reading on it, and I found out it's not quite that. That's not actually what's going on. But it is interesting to note that their constant acquisition of things would have sort of a a, a limit to just how far it could go. And I think that, yeah, you have all along been sort of a a fan-slash-critic of of Netflix. And I think I've always sort of wondered, like, how do they do what they do, the way that every day there's some new show with some actor I know that they've dropped a season (laughs) of. But, yeah... uh, the, the 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 truth of it is that rather that whether the headline says that they owe twenty twenty billion dollars, it's actually that they've got about about five billion of debt, and there's about fifteen or sixteen billion more of projected spending uh. that they're sort of committed to based on production schedules and things like that. But that it's all supposed to get paid out. Um, I don't know, over a certain number of months that seems like it's reasonable. So they say that investors are happy, and it's not as dire as it would seem. But the truth remains that they are doing the sort of Amazon model of pouring any profits into, uh, you know, more, more, more. They're not, they're not making much compared right. to what you would think. So, so like right now, their model is based on okay, if any money they make, they're pouring it into production, they're pouring it into licensing, they're pouring it into all the things that allow them to have so much content. So it does seem like at some point, if they don't keep growing, that's going to fall apart. I mean, I think the most important thing that I think that I took away from it is like you made a comment, just like it's kind of like the Amazon model of just kind of pouring profits into the future of the company. You know, even if you're carrying debt. I mean that, that's all I see it as. I mean it's a crazy it's a crazy number to hear and see and and you know you definitely want to question like you know how long can they sustain this for? But um, I mean what's 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 a more shocking and I guess probably more important just fact to them and to people like watching their growth and, and what happens with them is just the idea that you know quarter over quarter and year over year their subscriber base is still growing. You know, and that's really what investors are, you know, that's that that's their model. You know, that's where they're making their money. And, um, you know, I think that's really what matters most, I guess. I mean, there is obviously, like you said, there's there is a line that they're going to come to in terms of their production budgets and like, you know, what they're actually pouring into original content versus, you know, what they're spending to acquire content. Um but I don't know. Like it's it's a really interesting model. I mean, it's like no one knows because it's really never been done before, and you know it's so shocking and so uh, I don't know. It's kind of like it's I don't know. It's like sexy, just like how all in they are on like what they're doing, and like they just don't give a fuck. Like they're just you know you, you, like literally every week some new show drops on Netflix or a movie drops that they have made in house. That has somebody that you recognize that, um, you know, they're hoping helps them develop, you know, to a point where they're not having to pay to acquire stuff, you know, out, outside of the company's model. Like, they're all coming from internal, you know, they're their own, like, their ecosystem is, like, shrinking if that becomes a reality for them, which is what they want. Because, I mean, the the money cycle is a lot shorter when they're kind of making it themselves and... I don't know. It's a really interesting story. I mean, it, it's it's kind of crazy to read those numbers, like you said. But 
I mean, it's way above my pay grade or my, my concept of financing and money, but what, what makes more sense to me to be impressed by and to be kind of following is the idea is, you know, is, is their subscriber base continuing to grow? And, you know, the answer is yes. And the rate at which it's growing is, is still pretty impressive. It's just a matter of like, is that growth in, you know, in perspective to what they're spending year over year, that's really where, you know, the red flag will start going up if, if that starts to become more of an inverse relationship to, you know, where they're trying to get to. But I mean, you know, I'm all on the Netflix train, so I'm very curious to see uh, what happens to Netflix. I think they have that early adopter thing going for them where like, I think they're a little more safe than some other studios that are, you know, in the streaming universe that are trying to develop content and, you know, kind of get it out there. But, um, I don't know, man, I don't know how you stop Netflix. I really don't. I mean, I think that this, I think, I, I, I mean, to be, you make it sound like the blob or something right, well, like I mean, that. Like, kind of, I mean, yeah. some people, some people look at Netflix like that. Like if you've ever watched like these round tables with like, you know, um, content, you know, supervisors for like the station or the, the, the channels like HBO and Showtime and Bravo, there's a, there's a really great one on the Hollywood reporter. They do the round tables every year around award seasons where like, you know, literally Ted Sarandos is sitting on a table with, you know, the chief content, you know, producer i don't know the official title of like you know from hbo and showtime and bravo and amc and you know fx and they're all just sitting around talking about things and i mean i feel like these studios and these channels these 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 production companies they kind of look at netflix like it's the blob like it's the blob i mean like legitimately like it's just kind of taking over everything it runs into because they have the money and the subscriber base to at least allow them to continue doing what they think they should be doing but um i think a benchmark right now just to kind of also point out is this year the number of emmy nominations that they got um it's really something to pay attention to i mean like it's it, they're really disrupting the award space with you know when it comes to tv programming especially they really haven't done much yet in, and it seems like Amazon's kind of beat them to the whole, uh, you know, the feature film game in terms of awards and nominations at the Oscars. But, I mean, the the the, the presence that they're going to have at the Emmys this year is um, is unprecedented. I mean, because of the number of shows they have and the number of categories, the space that they can kind of get into. Um, and there's very few categories across the evening that will not have some Netflix show or performance represented in it. And that's like, that's crazy. You know, that that's what the landscape is for television right now. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious, very curious about what's going to happen um, soon. I, I wonder, I know this is super random. I wonder if, because they are a production company, if they will start like making content for regular tv or renting out some of it so suppose they get to a point where they're putting they're taking more money out of the cookie jar than they're putting in right i wonder if their production aspect is going to become a bigger thing for other formats like are they going to put some stuff on cable i know that sounds kind of weird and far-fetched but they are a production company they do have quality programming they can give it to other places i wonder if that'll become a thing in the future because they are gonna i think eventually what we're gonna see is netflix becoming 
the universal of, you know, the streaming media world and which may make them into a brick and mortar production company eventually in terms of them doing things for other other places other right. other networks other it, it 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 seems like the right thing to do it seems like something that could make them that could triple their worth you know what i mean like if if they kind of reached into that market so we'll see i don't want them to go away you know but it just Again, the cookie jar model. Are they are they taking out more money than they're putting in? And we have we seen it last for long enough to make an intelligent sort of conversation about what this is right now because it is really in its infancy. The 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 golden age of Netflix is not hasn't been that long. Well, nothing has a golden age for for very long. <laughs> that's why we like. Yeah. That's that's why we always talk about yeah, it. You yeah. know what I mean? That's why you remember it. When is it going to taper off? Is I'm wondering. If, if if you could save one Netflix property from the axe, like if let's say Netflix had to start cutting shit and they started looking at some of their high profile stuff and saying, "Let's phase this out. We can't afford to keep making mm-hmm. this." If you could save one Netflix show from the axe, what would it be? What which one would you preserve to run as long as uh, as its creators want it uh, to run? <sighs> Um, Stranger Things. I second that. I say, str- yeah, I'd say Stranger Things of all the shows. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a three for for Stranger <laughs> Things. I couldn't think of another one that I was like, uh, that it's like I it was like once I realized that was one of them. I'm like, even though it may not be like moment for moment, episode for episode, the best like produced show or best acted or whatever, the, the overall effect of that is something that I think I want to see whatever they, whatever might be done with right, it. Right. I want to see it done. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want it to be uh, some, you know, something that gets cut off too soon. Well, um, we've got just a little bit of time left. And I thought since we did in our last episode, we talked about the season premiere of Game of Thrones. I thought maybe we could take a few minutes just to kind of catch up on what's been happening so far this season. None of our predictions have come true yet. <laughs> Ronald's uh, prediction that Sansa's going to die. My prediction that Littlefinger's going to die. And that I think that Sansa's going to have a hand in, in making that happen. Now that there's a Stark family reunion happening at Winterfell, Bran is back and it looks like Arya is on her way. So I don't know which one of the Starks is going to kill Littlefinger, but it's, I have a feeling it'll be a Stark or some combination of Starks. And then um, Steve's prediction and hope, I think, that we all have in our heart, that we'll get to see an ice dragon. None of that has come true yet, but it's it all seems like it still could. <laughs> but yeah, what are some thoughts on just how things have been going so far this season on a very fast-paced season of Game of Thrones? I'm I'm excited about Jon Snow going to drag, Dragonstone. Um that that whole idea of those two interacting with each other is just exciting. Um, that's really what I'm focused on. That's definitely the front page news. Yeah. That that's like the big headline yeah. I would say from the last couple episodes is that those two characters met, and that they I thought they did a pretty good job of playing them off of each other without either one of them kind of losing any of their mystique. Definitely, she's an arrogant piece of shit sometimes. Like I'm like, why is she being so mean? Sometimes she needs to like calm down her <laughs> arrogance, but I, I I get it. She wants she wants to make herself known in this space as a no nonsense person, and I kind of love that part about it. So super curious about how that's gonna turn out. That really worries me about her, like the, that that arrogance and right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm all in on Jon Snow as my boy, and I mean, I like Danny and everything, but. I don't know something about something about her arrogance. I mean, she definitely has 
some humility and she's you know she's she's shown it in in various you know seasons and uh but i don't know something about that at least it's to me it seems like on this show like the reluctant hero you know is is the is the key to the show and i don't know that's i kind of feel like john is definitely the embodiment of that more so um just because of that kind of arrogance that she has like that in I don't want to say that entitlement, but like oh, totally. It, sometimes it comes, yeah. I mean, it, it comes out really strong at times, and it makes me feel um, that that something uh, something could happen to her that's not good uh, because of that. Yeah. Well, we've we've seen her earn that. We've seen her earn that sense of entitlement that she has. I mean, I know that's a strange thing because if it's a sense of entitlement, it's sort of inherently not earned. But I'm just saying we've seen what she's gone through to put her in the position of feeling that. She knows of what she speaks. She's been through enough. She doesn't have to take any shit. I think that we see why she feels that way. But it definitely seems like that's her uh, Achilles heel, is that she she may have just thought that she was going to march in there and that everything was going to happen for right. her. And I think actually what we've seen thus far this season is what seemed like her unstoppable force being kind of toppled uh, uh, a little bit, or at least her inevitable victory has now been kind of thrown into question. And I think maybe they've done whatever they can to make it seem like there's a threat to her power thus far. So maybe it's going to be that suddenly, you know, she's going to have to rebound. But um, that's what they've sort of done so far is 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 really call into question uh, how much she's going to be able to make use of all these assembled forces if they're scattered across the, the land fighting these different battles. And the other thing I wanted to say about that is, um, can can one of Tyrion's schemes not work out just just once? It, doesn't it seem like lately all he has are ideas that seem smart, but then somebody <laughs> outthinks him? He's being outthought by Cersei at this point. You know, that, 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 feels, that feels not quite right uh, to me. But I don't know, maybe that's going someplace interesting. Yeah. What do you think about Tyrion's judgment so far this season, Ronald? Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, I'm trying to figure out what his angle is. Um, sometimes I think the whole plan of being more forceful needs to be used, you know, because he's trying to play it cool and, you know, be a little smarter about it. And sometimes I feel like maybe, maybe they should just go in and destroy everything and worry about the consequences later. Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I want to, I want to see Tyrion lead a more forceful army sort of strategy. It's, it seems to be a lot of like, wait and see, we go to this place and negotiate with a person. I don't want to see any of that. I feel like it's his military strategies that have been backfiring. I think that he's a better like courtroom sort of, he's better at the kind of, uh, advising about who she should ally with yes. and stuff like he was he was instrumental i guess in getting her to to listen to john snow and to getting john snow to be reasonable with her so that was sort of his doing it's interesting also how um just how much of a supervillain they're making cersei this season like you know we un we understand why she had to get that revenge but man she got some of the most cold-blooded revenge we've seen yet on a show that seems full of it i i, I love what they're doing with her um you know, it's 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 cool. Like, it's just another thing that that show does so well is like kind of bringing things full circle. Like, back when um, Marcella, like, you know, everything happened with her and the poisoning, there were you know there were comments about. Um, I think she said something about like you know or like watching a body rot, and um, it was it was really cool to see her like kind of saying that same thing to Ilaria when she like had her chained up across from her daughter, like basically forcing her to watch her daughter's face cave in like over time. 
uh i mean it's brutal but i mean like you know when you when, when the show kind of like brings back little throwaway lines like that from seasons prior it's just really it's just really great stuff and it just kind of it kind of drives home the point of like especially with her character like not forgetting anything like she is like nothing no, nothing drops from you know the tip of her tongue nothing drops from her memory like any kind of revenge or uh, you know, plan that she has to get back at somebody. She's like, you know, committed to making it happen verbatim from the point of like, you know, when it entered her mind and it's like really scary stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Definitely digging this super Cersei and, uh, like don't not giving a fuck of like, you know, basically like, it's you know, hooking up with Jamie and like just walk into the door. Like, you know, yeah. Like now what? Like, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like what? <laughs> you know, she's just like, she's just like, I don't know. Come at me. Come at me. I she doesn't care anymore. Like there's that, there's that like, you know, invincibility that she has in her mind, which is obviously dangerous to have, but, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with her character. Well, have you heard anything about the, the, the parallels, you know, the, the, they've been talking about the mad King yeah, oh, totally. for ever since yeah, the show yeah. began. Have you read about the sort of deliberate parallels between her and the mad King that they've Absolutely, been making? Yeah. And, um, in the sense that, uh, you know, one of the things he did before the story began was he killed Ned Stark's father and brother by, I believe the father was suspended over a fire in his armor so that the armor heated up and basically cooked him inside right. his armor. Oh, my God. And the brother was was tied nearby with a rope around his neck and a sword that was just out of reach. And the brother strangled himself to death trying to get to the sword so that he could cut down the right. father. Uh, but, but, but neither one of them survived. The father boiled in his suit and the brother killed himself trying to get to the sword. But that is sort of paralleled a little bit in the way that... Uh, a Cersei ended up uh, with Ilaria and her daughter. So yeah, I think that's an interesting place to take her. I mean, inevitably, it seems like there's some kind of a fall coming beyond that, but it sure is kind of, it's still strangely fun watching that character make these kind of baller moves, even though she's really the worst yeah. of the worst and thus far. Um, the most obvious yeah. also, like with the Tide of the Mad King, the fact that she actually blew up the city with dragon with wildfire. Oh, yeah, you know that's what I mean? True. Like that, right. That's what he was about to do or wanted to do before Jamie killed him. And I mean, she's sitting here... Now, as the queen, having done what he had planned to do before he was killed by her brother, which is like, you know, that's crazy. She's going to get destroyed. And that makes me wonder, is that is that like foreshadowing that Jamie will be the one to take her down? I really think so. I think it, I think he will be. Folks listening, Ronald has only seen the first half of the most recent episodes, so, so the last scene we can't really talk about in detail. But Jamie's going to be going back with a piece of information that should change Cersei's mind about hating their brother. And and if she continues to hate Tyrion after she finds out what she finds out, then that might be a thing that will that will push Jamie into that realization that there's just no getting right, through to her right. at this point. I think he might already know that, but I think that we're going to see it graphically depicted. We're going to see his moment of breaking from her. You know, that has to be something that in the books it happened earlier and it really helped. Like in the books, he broke away from Cersei at the right point in his redemption arc. Like he gets back from his kind of adventures with Brienne and he sees Cersei for what she is and he and he basically gets out of town and, and later he doesn't look back. So it's like it tracks with the redemption arc that he was on. But what the show did was around season four he comes back, he's back in Cersei's thrall and he hasn't really, he spent a few seasons just kind of bumping into things as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I still love that character, but he has been on a weird 
on a weird track. Right. Do you know right, what I mean? Right. Like he's kind of redeemed, but he's also sort of with this person who we know to be one of the worst people in the right. story. So I think that I think that he may not successfully be redeemed. He may in fact be taken down in the same moment that she is. But I, I do think it seems like that all that Mad King foreshadowing does seem like it, it portends something about Cersei's end. I mentioned last episode the, the idea of the uh, the prophecy of the prince that was promised. And uh, I loved yeah. hearing uh, Melisandre kind of bring that up in in an episode and um, Miss Sandy like kind of clarifying the, the language and meaning uh, prince or princess, like kind of even furthering that ambiguity of, of, of John and, and Danny and, and who really is the the prince that was promised. I don't know. I just, that just made me so happy to hear that happen and to be acknowledged in an episode was really cool. Yeah. I thought it was like, we had just talked about it and then there it was. Uh, Do you think they're going to hook up John and Danny? I don't know. Man, I don't know. I think they're going to hook up. I just have this I just have this let's get it on feeling about those two cuz I feel like that would be perfect for this show if if they do that and then they find out that he's a Targaryen cuz then it it's perfect. You know, it's it's just like, you know, Jamie and, and Cersei are not just like but similar. She's she'd be his aunt. <laughs> Anybody got any other bits and bobs to mention before we we go gently into the night? I got nothing, man. I got a I got a baby in the other room Uh-oh. crying. I think she's gotten the upper hand on my wife, so I got to catch up on these movies that I'm so far behind on. Hopefully, next time we record, I'll have a chance to see at least a couple of them. You know, what's funny, Steve, is is I have a nine year old, and and there's a similar lack of understanding of bedtime uh, going on in my house. And so I got to say, you're kind of locked in for life with that shit now. <laughs> yeah, joy, joy. Cool, man. Well, uh. You can find us at MovieSchmovie.com or on our Facebook page um, if you want to kind of just check out past episodes um, or let us know what you think of the episodes. If you want to let us know what you think, the best place to go is on to iTunes or whatever your podcasting uh, place of choice is or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, most of them, if not all of them, have a way for you to uh, leave a review or some sort of rating system if it's iTunes. There's, you know, uh, stars and you you can do uh, a review as well. Um, it's really appreciated if you can do that, or you can just share the podcast on your favorite social media to help get the word out. Any of that would be great. If you can do one, that'd be amazing. Uh, and we would really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, that's about all for episode 197. We'll be back in a couple weeks with 198 cause that comes after 197. And that seems to be the theme that, that goes. Um, we don't know what that is yet, but I'm sure we'll come up with something fun. And uh, we'll talk to you guys then. But as always, you've made our day. Take care. Bye.